0: So I was wondering, did anybody notice that Savannah was a little extra blingy this morning? Yes, so Savannah and Ryan Weicker got engaged this weekend. Oh, there they are, right next to each other. Oh, yes. So apparently David and Ron were hiding in the woods, taking pictures of the proposal, and were you guys wearing camo? They were. The Marines are like, okay, we're bringing out the really important stuff. That's hilarious. So really excited for you too. It's just been fun to see this happen. So, yes. Um, so when I was a kid, there was this mantra that I heard in my house a lot. And my parents were, I guess what... Um, This older generation might be called uh, baby boomers, and they had this mantra that they held dear, and that was, you don't talk about sex, politics, and religion, okay? Anybody heard that growing up? Okay, so those of us maybe that are over 50 or whatever um, heard that, and I remember asking my mom, I was like, why don't we talk about those things? She said, it just always causes problems, just don't. Don't bring it up. Okay, um, I would say those days maybe are behind us, might be in the rearview mirror, um, because I see these these topics constantly in the public discourse, or maybe I should say public infighting that's going on, um, and maybe a lot of it is not like individually, like person to person. It's a little more keyboard to keyboard. Okay, the keyboard warriors. Um, Not a lot of discussion, but a a lot of just, you know, arguing. But I wanted to start with doing a little of our own research and kind of getting um, your all's opinions on this. Would you guys agree that maybe this present generation is much more willing to talk about those three things? What do you guys think? You do? Okay. Okay. So, absolutely. So, that mantra of you don't talk about these things, okay, not so much. Good to know. Um, Would you guys say that you, would you go so far as to say you're comfortable talking about those things? Okay, no. Or it depends. What does it depend on? Who you're talking to, okay, based on how they might respond. Yeah, okay. Okay how well you know them. Okay. So your relationship is important. Absolutely. Okay. What else? What makes you feel comfortable or makes you feel uncomfortable? Alex, what's that? Okay. The environment that you're discussing things in. So in certain places, it could be really difficult to have a good conversation. Okay. What else, Ron? Your personal mood. Okay. (laughs) If you're grumpy not a good time. Okay. Anything else? Okay. Your knowledge, yep, your knowledge of, if you feel comfortable talking about it or you feel like oh gosh, I'm in over my head, then that could be concerning. That's when you change the topic to Cincinnati sports, Andy, cuz that's <laughs> that Andy is an expert in that. Just turn it all back to the Bearcats, all right? On we're oh. Okay, so, mm-hmm. Vince, okay, so if they're mixing, if those two, so are you saying like separately you're okay with each one, but as soon as they mix, I get you get uncomfortable, right, and let me tell you, do not, you don't want to see Vince uncomfortable, okay, <laughs> don't let that happen, anyways, all right, so. When it comes to those three, what are your biggest concerns? Like, if you're thinking, oh, I can see this conversation going that way, what is that concern that you have in engaging in something like that, Alex? Okay, so a decent conversation could eh, maybe turn into an argument, okay? Okay, okay, so more, yeah, just really forceful as opposed to, hey, here's a good argument. It's more like, oh, yeah, saddlebags. Okay, yeah. (laughs) What was that from? Ace Ventura. Ventura. Thank you. (laughs) Half of you are like, he's nuts. We're listening to this guy on a Sunday morning? (laughs) Seriously. Okay, Um, what else? What was that? Oh, okay. Okay, so the so there yeah, that there could be this perception that the church is behind one specific politician. Okay. All right? Like the church in general. What else? What's other concerns that you have? Go for it. Okay. So if you're really intense, it could maybe cause some division and all right. Good. Anything else, one last one. There can be a tendency to demonize people in the agreement not to tell you are talking with but if, if you think they're representing a group. Yeah. Right, absolutely. Okay, yeah. So we can demonize another a whole subculture or whatever. Okay. So I think what you guys, even as we've responded here, you've clearly demonstrated my first point, And that is, I would say you're not arrogant, narrow-minded, opinionated people that don't care about your listeners. I think the truth is we do care about The relationships and the people that we are talking with and that we don't want to stab people or offend people or hurt people I don't think that's in any of us and that alone is really important in being effective in Having conversation about some difficult topics, just the fact that that is an awareness and something that is really concerning and important to us um, makes me like I'm glad to be a part of a community like that where we aren't going out there looking for arguments. So, as we mentioned kind of numerous times over our last series, Unashamed, was that our communication about Jesus and in turn some really thorny topics that people are talking about, like it needs to happen. It needs to happen. However, there was that underlying principle that we talked about in 1 Peter with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. And so for us to just, like we're not here to make the mic drop statements and then walk away about really complex issues, because no one has ever been reached that way, all right? I, I don't know people that have said, well, you know, this person said this to me, and that was it, convinced me right away that this was the way to go. That's rare, but I have heard where someone has a relationship, trusts that other person, knows they've been listening Listen to, and with gentleness and respect, someone shared something, and they said, you know what, when they mentioned this, that was a really good point, and I need to think about that. Because those other principles were followed, and relationally, that person was respected. So, this morning, I'm going to wade into some deep waters and discuss two of the three, okay? Politics, and religion, um, I might run the risk of offending somebody somehow, so I'm just like, ugh, do I really need to do this? You know, this will be so much fun. (laughs) But we're going to look at two of the three. Um, I'm going to leave the discussion about sexual expression and gender um, for one of the upcoming teachings, simply because it's going to require more time okay? There's just a lot to discuss, and that needs to be done very carefully. And so I'm going to wait on that. So two of the three we get this morning, okay? Um, I hope that something that I share here is helpful when it comes to what Jesus has called us to, and that is to live in a way where we love justice, we walk humbly with our God, and we love others as Jesus called us to, and then we're faithful to the gospel, okay? So, first I wanted to discuss kind of a growing movement within our culture that is really just a natural outworking of kind of this new generation that has grown up in somewhat unchurched families, and that's simply that we are now in a post-Christian culture, is what most sociologists would say. And so, biblical knowledge and discussion and people getting around like at a at a pub like we do on God on Tap and discussing theology like used to kind of be a part of culture and there was some biblical understanding and knowledge and that has changed dramatically okay a lot of our friends have never read a page of scripture They've heard a couple verses, like most would know one Bible verse, okay? And it's probably, don't judge lest you shall be judged. That is pretty much it for a lot. So many have rejected Christianity or just don't really have any knowledge of it at all or its message. And so a lot of times just to communicate, what it is, is really eye-opening for people. Like, it's not even arguing about it, it's just saying, hey, can I just share with you what it does say? Oh, yeah, I don't really know. And then, man, it's neat to see how God works there. So, it is true that um, if we survey the American landscape, the surveys do suggest that we are becoming a more non-religious culture. And by that, the definition is that more people now do not clearly identify with any particular faith and that they would say they have no religion. Okay. Knowing this is helpful because what it says to me is that, okay, the traditional faiths that that are out there um, might attract a spiritually that might attract a spiritually curious person are no longer like the go-to anymore. And so a lot of people have given up on the church at the corner, but they have not given up on God. And sometimes this gets um, extrapolated, this fact that, well, you know, there's this less religious culture and there's this fear that starts amongst Christians that, oh my gosh, we're losing this battle. Or that it, it, it can tend to make us alarmists or fearful or anxious. And the trend that I've seen with some believers, I don't think it's because they're worried that their friends don't know about God. I don't think that's it. I think they're worried a little more about themselves. Okay? Is that it's more about us. Because I think Christians fear some, not all, but some that are really concerned with about how things are going are concerned about being the minority. Like, they don't like being in a world where everybody thinks differently than them, and that's hard. But the truth is, like, that is the world. When Jesus was there with just this small group of people, they were a minority. Jesus, on the other hand, when he looked at people, Scripture tells us he was filled with compassion, and he had tears when he saw cities that were far from him. Not because he was anxious and worried like, oh my gosh, I am losing the battle. It's because he wanted the best for them. And he describes it that way. In Matthew 9, 36, says this, When he saw the crowds, these crowds of people, he saw individuals. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Lost without a shepherd. His thinking was they're in danger and they don't have anybody looking out for them. Jesus cares about them for them. That is really like that's where we need to be with our hearts. So let's not be stressed about us losing privileges or that we're not the majority. In fact, the church, like those that are following Jesus, if you look over history, the times that it's grown the most is when there's persecution, and it is really tough, and God does some amazing things. So, for me, I'm just like, that's fine. That's fine. Now, should we be concerned about our friends and family's eternal fate? Absolutely. But remember this, just because people are not necessarily walking themselves into local churches... For answers to their spiritual questions doesn't mean, like I said earlier, that they've given up on God. In fact, I would argue it's the opposite. Here's why God created us as spiritual beings who have spiritual hunger and spiritual questions. And no matter how hard we try to keep that under wraps, it will come to the surface. Anybody ever been in a pool, and there's a beach ball, and you're like, I am going to keep this beach ball underwater. I am the one. I'm the chosen one. Yes, I can do this. And, uh, you know, as kids, everybody took a shot, and you're like, hey, I got it. I got it. Get out of the way. You're terrible. And sure enough, we would try and try, and that's what would happen. You'd think, oh, I got it. I got it. This is happening. But every time, it just came to the surface. And while I looked up those pictures, I saw this picture, this next one. Oh, it's a lovely, it's a polar bear. Apparently, he pulled it off for a split second there. He looks so cute. They do eat people just for fun, but (laughs) he looks, he just looks, they love, what? Coke? Oh, that's true. They do love, and and yeah, people and a Coke. That's what they wash it down with, the <laughs> Coke. Yeah. Ah. Human. So good. <laughs> anyway, so there's this spiritual hunger that we have that no matter how hard we try to push it down, it will come to the surface. So, I have a friend that um, I would say that he is um, not an atheist, but he is an anti-theist, okay? He takes a strong, adamant stand against people of faith. He relishes in trying to crush them in arguments, and yet this is really interesting. He works to provide, um, like his job is to provide some really cool services to an under-resourced and under-privileged section of our population. Okay? That's what he does. He constantly argues why some things are obviously right and other things are obviously wrong and evil. Okay? He has really high standards for people, and he shames people, that don't live up to those standards. Like one of his favorite sayings is, you know, this person is a POS. You guys know what that means, okay? Um, So the confusing thing about my friend is that even though his world technically does not have an authority, does not possess a right and wrong, has no innate purpose, he lives as if all of those things are true. He said he does not believe in God. He has chosen to be a secular humanist. When I look at what he does with his life, frankly, he is doing God's work. I think he's actually living out part of God's design for his life. And he can't get around it because he is a spiritual being, and even though... He rejects the concept of a God. He can't get around living as though there is. He's constantly making declarations on what is moral and immoral, even though his worldview is amoral. Again, it's not, it doesn't line up. Why is that happening with him? Because he can't keep the beach ball down. This is how we're made. So, we're either suppressing truth or God is using it, we're starting to receive it, okay? One of the most liberating and freeing truths that I've ever come to believe is that nobody is beyond God's reach, nobody. Whether it's Saul of Tarsus or the famous um, atheist Antony Flew who came to faith Before he died, God is working. And John 5 says this, My Father, Jesus talking, is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. God is up to something with everybody. And so this is why holding on to what is so often out there This us versus them mindset is not only inaccurate, it's opposed to the gospel. Okay? The gospel does not say that it's us versus the world. The enemy is not people, it's Satan. He is opposed to Jesus, and Satan opposes us. The truth is, all of our friends are made in the image of God, all of them. And our mission is simply to help them see that and then see their need for Jesus to restore them and forgive them. That's it. I think one of the things that has driven this us versus them scenario is this immense drive for power that is associated with politics, okay? In America today, and in a lot of cultures, really, whoever has the gold rules, in other other words, whoever has the most power rules, so might makes right. And therefore, it's strategic to build alliances and enemies to help divide people and force them to choose only one of two sides. So both of those sides will paint the other side themselves as moral and upright, and the other as evil and immoral. So that is the, that's what they're presenting. You have those two choices. The reason they want you to make a choice is you making a choice benefits themselves. It's not because they care about people. They care about themselves and the desperation for power so their side can be the authority. And they can do what they want, whatever that is. So, political candidates will pander to special interest groups who want things their way. They'll also pander to individual groups and subcultures with special interests to gain their votes. Is it because they care about them? No. It's because they want the power that their votes get them. They pretend to be friends to get their support, but that's it. It's really about themselves. And so, even this intense battle that we see about what is moral and what is immoral is still evidence of the beach ball. We're made in God's image, and we have this inherent draw to a moral code. Some would say it's prescribed for us, that there's an outside creator who prescribes for us, this is how I want you to live. And there's another group of people that feel that is self-defined, and we determine that. So it's really an indication of our spiritual heritage. And this battle that we've always had to call the shots for our own lives, okay? Governing, making rules, policies, whatever depending on who's doing that, gives us the opportunity to be our own authority. Okay, so here's why I included this in this controversies series, because we see these controversies constantly on the airwaves, but they will never end, okay? We hear, like, this is the worst time, like we've never been so divided in history, um, just that doomsday feeling. As long as we've inhabited the earth, it has always been like this, always. So I would beg to differ. This is not the most divided time in history. It has always been like this. If we read Scripture or we study history, there were always political firestorms, battles for power and control, and it was constant. Since Cain and Abel, even Adam and Eve starting to shirk responsibility and blame each other, look all through history, we have been at war constantly, and Scripture tells us we will continue to be at war until the end of time. As we speak, right now, there is slavery, human genocide, and human trafficking right now, all over this globe. The Bible was right when it said, there is nothing new under the sun. I love this quote because I think this describes this. This is the worst it's ever been. There's no such thing as new news. It's all just old news happening to new people. It's old news happening to new people. So, now we have direct access, though, to all these power struggles. And those power struggles are promoted and advertised to build allegiances and momentum to overthrow the other side, whatever that is. Okay, um, I was reading the other day. There was a a, a headline that said uh, lawmakers experience pushback over something that they had proposed. And as I read further, you know the headlines always sound very dramatic, right? Because it's all about clickbait and trying to get you to spend time on their website or whatever it is because they're selling advertising dollars. They're really, it's about money in a lot of ways. So anyway, as I researched it, I realized that the pushback was two people that made a comment on a Facebook post. But that's news, pushback. It's like, that sounds very dramatic. There's a lot of controversy. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know. And then I felt like they got me. I read this whole thing for two people that were not all that upset, really. There wasn't much pushback. So I always thought, okay, so I grew up in Cleveland. Thank you. Thanks, Justy. I knew I could count on you. I knew I could. So um, we had a newspaper which had the weirdest name. The name of our newspaper, does anybody know it in Cleveland? It's yeah, the Daily Tribune. That sound that makes sense. Ours was called the Plain Dealer. (laughs) I remember asking my mom as a kid, "What does that mean?" She's like, "I don't, I don't know, I don't." Uh, But anyway, the Plain Dealer, the newspaper there, would endorse a candidate every year. Newspapers do this all over the country. But I remember thinking, "Wait wait a minute, now aren't they're, they're supposed to be objective?" However, the editorial board has all gotten together and they determined that they are going to promote or, you know, get behind a certain candidate and endorse them. Is that objective? That does not seem objective because those are the same people that can edit and, and really communicate whatever they'd like, remove what's bad. And keep what's good. And I just thought, even as a kid, I was like, that's crazy. That just doesn't seem right. So, um, as you guys know, we kind of have this taking place in the US right now. And I am not going to discuss or argue about whether there should be, you know, 50 political parties, but it kind of comes down to you really only have two choices. And if you vote, you know, a different choice than people are like, well, you're just throwing your vote away and that person's not electable. And so you have this really limited scenario to choose from, and usually there's really, really complex issues, okay? So I, I am not going to get into that type of discussion, but I do know for me that at times, maybe all the time, I am completely exhausted by the political news and clickbait. Is anybody else just like, oh my God, yeah? I mean, had enough. So recently, there is all this news about what's that guy's name? His last name is Epstein. You guys heard of him? Okay. Jeffrey Epstein, something like that? Okay. Really weird. Um, creepy type guy, okay, and as they're finding out, he had this island by St. Thomas and St. John that the locals called the Island of Sin, and he's been involved in tons of, like, sex trafficking and just crazy, crazy stuff, Um, but he has been tied, and he has financed tons of politicians and their work. And because of his behavior, it has been very obvious to everybody that he was really messed up and was involved in a bunch of this. They all knew it, and yet they all willingly took his money because it helped them gain power. That's what it was about, power. So, This might be controversial saying this, but I really think that this is truth. As Christians, we don't believe that the government is the vehicle for transforming lives and hearts and people. Government is needed. It provides structure and systems for the common good, and there are some excellent things I'm not saying be an anarchist, although every now and then it's like an evening of anarchy is fun, isn't it? Yeah. But those systems, they're important, but the internal power to live selfless instead of selfish... Like, that is the gospel in the human heart. Jesus is our Savior, not the government. Preach, I gotta preach. <laughs> Tillman, did you hear that? Oh, yeah, I'm on fire. <laughs> we are to be our brother's keeper not the government. It's really easy to not take personal responsibility when the government, like we look to them for everything. For us, as Jesus followers, what Jesus calls us to supersedes all government control and instructives. We live under a new king that says, love your enemies, love each other. So, we start hospitals, we start orphanages, we serve others, we give generously, we serve the homeless. We do that because we have a king and a standard that He has given us. We take the lead in being generous and loving others. So, I'm not, gonna pick, I'm not picking out any side here. Some of you might say, oh, why did you choose them? I'm just choosing them because they were in this article that I read, okay? Beto O'Rourke, he and his wife, they made $366,000 in 2017. $366,000, that's pretty good. They gave $1,166 to charity, to charitable organizations. $1,166. 2016, they made over $300,000. They gave $857. 2015, over $300,000 again, gave $867. Bernie Sanders and his wife, they made $561,000 in 2018 and gave $18,000 to charity. Not bad. 2017, they made $1.1 million and gave $36,000 here's why I bring that up. In this room right now, there are a bunch of you that have completely outgiven those people. Completely. There are college students that have outgiven some of them and way outgiven them when it comes to the percentage of their income. Why? Real simple, because we follow Jesus. I am not saying that politics are not important. But they're never, policies are never going to be able to provide this moral compass for harmonious lives. Like, we're going to be sadly disappointed because there's another beach ball that doesn't go away, and that's sin and selfishness. There's only one One way that goes away, and that's Jesus changing a heart. So, yeah, we need to vote. We need to select the best option that we have based on scriptural principles and where people stand. But as followers of Jesus, our life mission doesn't change. It doesn't matter who is in office. It doesn't matter if it's a dictator who hates Christianity. Jesus is our king, period. I remember a book by a guy that I I really appreciate, runs this amazing, um, kind of like revitalized this, this really difficult area in Philly, and it was called Jesus for President. And basically it was just like, this is who we follow. Now, those of you that maybe are over 50, do you remember the Christian coalition and the moral majority, okay? So some of you remember, and this was kind of a group of, of um, Christ followers who really felt like we are losing the battle and we're going to fight back. And so they, they mobilized voters, they, they did boycotts, they raised a ton of money, and there was a lot of things that happened politically as a result of their influence. In fact, there were two guys that I was reading this book and they were saying we were sitting in an old beat up pickup truck and we were listening to the radio and they were talking about how the movement that we started had affected who got elected for president. And they thought, wow, this is amazing what we've done. Next administration came in like literally with the stroke of a pen, got rid of So many things that they had tried to make happen. And they realized, like, and they wrote this book. So Ed Dobson was one of them, Cal Thomas, another one, said, What are we doing? The book was titled Blinded by Might. And they thought, oh, my gosh, we got caught up in the wrong thing. We were trying to legislate morality and tell people this is how they behave. And, w- and it was more out of fear. And it's Jesus. And we just need to get back to that. That is what matters. And they realized we missed it. A large percentage of the Jesus, like the crowd of followers that were following him, initially, they were more drawn to the power undertones that they thought Jesus could usher in. It was like, this is the guy. This is the guy. He's going to help us overthrow the Romans. We're going to get out of bondage. And what? We will have power again. We're powerless now, but He'll help us. No wonder the Christian movement or all those followers dwindled when it became apparent that the power that Jesus was talking about had nothing to do with the type of power they had in mind. I want to finish with a clip from one of my favorite movies, a movie that wrecked me when I first watched it, uh, Schindler's List. And to set this up, Oscar Schindler is out on this balcony talking with Ammon Geth, who was basically the, the manager, whatever, the leader of this concentration camp in Krakow. It's all true story. And he was um, just an awful human. Um, and I say that thinking, and so am I, okay? I mean, we're in the same boat, Um, but he would sit out on his balcony. He was responsible for killing thousands, sending thousands to the gas chambers, Um, but sometimes would sit out on his balcony and literally just see people out in the yard, and if they weren't moving quickly enough or they weren't working, would just take his rifle and just pick them off and just shoot them, just sitting up in his balcony with his shirt off doing that. And so this is a scene where Schindler is on that balcony with Geth talking about what real power is.
1: A wonderful party. Thank you. Why do you drink that motor oil? Hmm? I send you good stuff all the time. Your liver's going to explode like a hand grenade. You yeah, know, well, I look at you. I watch you. You're never drunk. Oh, that's. That's a real control. Control is power. That's power. Is that why they fear us they fear us because we have the power to kill arbitrarily a man commits a crime he should know better we have him killed and we feel pretty good about it or we kill him ourselves and we feel even better that's not power though that's justice it's different than power power is when we have every justification to kill, and we don't. You think that's power? That's what the Emperor said. A man stole something, he's brought in before the Emperor, he throws himself down on the ground, he begs for mercy. He knows he's going to die. And the Emperor pardons him. He's worthless man. He lets him go. I think you are drunk. That's power, Amon. That is power. Amon, the good. My partner.
0: following that the next day Geth is out on the yard and like usual maybe something isn't done um, according to his liking or he just decides I'm going to kill and he starts to puts his revolver behind somebody's head again, and then says and remembers that conversation and says, I pardon, pardon you. You can tell he's uncomfortable. It's not him. and He doesn't have the character to pull it off. He does it for about a day. That's how, like, bloodthirsty he was for power But he didn't have the character to continue that. I love that as Christians, we don't need to be concerned about losing or retaining or gaining power because we have all we need. The gospel is the power that changes the world. In Romans 1, it says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We talked about that in the last series, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. In Romans 8, the same power that raised Jesus to life is in you. We as believers have the most powerful, liberating, life-changing, culture-changing message on the planet. And that is, a God who is perfect has offered to pardon us, and we're guilty. We deserve justice, but we can bow our heart to Him, and we're forgiven. That's power. That's not religion, and that is fueled by relationship. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful that, um, that we live in a world where people are spiritually curious. We are surrounded by them. And no, there are not 25,000 people breaking down the door to get in here. But at night tonight, they are thinking about the big questions They long for somebody that they trust, that won't yell at them, that they can have an important conversation with. Help us to be those people. God, in this world of controversy, help us to be different, that we would share your truth in a way that is just seasoned with salt, and it's gentle, and it's respectful, and people would be drawn to that. We thank you that your gospel is so powerful. We thank you that we can give up control in our lives. And that ultimately, no matter what happens, politically, culturally, you are our king and we follow you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.